Hi, my name is Jim Lewis. And my name is Chris Painter. Welcome to season two of Inside Cyber Diplomacy, a casual and we hope revealing conversation with Jim and I and our guest of the week that helps to go behind the scenes and really tell the story of what's going on. Today's guest is Isak Morales, someone who both of us know from his uh, appearances at the GGE and OEWG. He's the coordinator for multidimensional security issues at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Mexico and has been working cyber issues, is in some ways the leading Mexican cyber diplomat. Uh, so we're grateful to have him on the show. Well, it's great to see you, my friend, again. You have been representing Mexico now for how many years? What's How long have you been doing it for a while? Yes, actually, uh, I was appointed as the first coordinator for multidimensional security, very new position within the uh, multilateral branch in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. It, five years, at least, wow. attending the, the UN cyber uh, negotiations. And fortunately, having the whole agenda, I mean, cybersecurity issues, first committee issues, uh, of course, dealing with third committee issues and cybercrime and and other UN-related uh, foreign platforms. Yes, so five, at least five years uh, following um, the, the UN discussions on, on cyber. So five years qualifies as, makes you a veteran in this world. What stands out to you from your experience? I mean, you had, you've had both the GGE, which is a small group, of course, and the OEWG, and now the ad hoc committee, which are larger groups. What, what sort of leaps out to you? What would you tell people about this process? Well, thank you very much for this question. We are dealing, we are facing sincerely crucial issues for international security and actually for multilateralism. And we, through these years, I have seen the increasing interest coming from member states, of course, but also from the UN, the, the UN family itself, and from multi-stakeholder community, of course, private sector, uh, civil society. And coming uh, from Mexico, I can tell you that it is great also to see how developing world, developing countries and Latin American countries in, in more uh, particular way, they are more engaged, more interested and more advanced at the same time to, to have this kind of conversations. One of the things that's been really remarkable, but in a very good way, is to see, particularly with the OEWG, you know, Mexico has been a player for some time, but to see a lot, and, and certainly the OAS has been a player for some time, but see much more regional involvement from Latin America. And I think that's been you know, a good thing, certainly, because Latin America has a, an important voice in this. Uh, and, and Mexico has been helping to lead that. So, so I agree. I, I'm a little disappointed you didn't say the, the top thing was the bilats we used to have, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but just switching to that for a little bit, we launched the US-Mexico cyber bilats with you about, well, it was a little more, you know, it was with you and with your predecessors in, in different roles about eight years ago, I guess. And certainly those were very productive Mexico was working on its strategy at the time. And, you know, interestingly, during the Trump administration, maybe all the things between our two countries weren't great. However, the cyber stuff seemed to go on well. And I like your perspectives on that. I, I will say that 
from, from my point of view, the, the relationship and the understanding, the common understanding, and, and actually the, the opportunity to discuss all the spectrum of cyber have increased in recent, recent years. Of course, uh, we perhaps haven't yet these very big bilateral conversations only dedicated to cyber, but I will mention as recent important uh, steps forward, at least three elements. First, as, as a result of the, of the Mexico, uh, US and Canada trilateral agreement, trade agreement, we do have concrete mentions to cybersecurity and the need to further address the challenges posed uh, by, by cyber in general and uh, the, the need to talk with multi-stakeholder community when addressing cyber. So we do have legally binding instrument on trade, which includes for the three countries, some elements on and crucial elements on cybersecurity. The second, I will say the recently uh, launched process or, or, or renewal of the process of the North American summit, also having Canada, U.S. and Mexico, the three countries. And one of the very important deliverables coming from this summit, I mean, from the leaders, is also to have a working group and, and to have a meeting, a, a trilateral meetings of experts based in order then to further uh, address, but at the same time, further coordinate our uh, positions, our views on the multilateral processes. And um, the third element important to me, and, and perhaps uh, more bilateral, not trilateral, it is under the new framework of the bicentennial understanding, this very big framework of the bilateral cooperation on security issues in general. We have also, uh, we have from this new framework, a very concrete track on cybersecurity and actually one of the expected uh, outcomes is to launch the, 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 the bilateral process of cyber discussion. One element, core element from, from my point of view uh, related to this expected deliverable is also to advance the implementation of the so-called norms and the framework. So this is the very first time that at the bilateral framework, we emphasize the need to advance both and to, to make efforts to advance the, the, the framework and concretely the norms for responsible state behavior coming from the UN processes, as you very well know. I believe these three elements put uh, more in, in the correct context how we have advanced on cyber discussions. You mentioned in your remarks that one of the things you've seen change in the years you've been doing this is the, the interest and abilities of the developing world to engage on cyber. What, what do you think the interests are? I mean, it's, is it the traditional security? Is it cybercrime? Is it economic development? How would you, from your perspective on these issues, what drives this interest in the developing world? There is one first and, and more related to the general interest of developing work, which is the defense, the advancement, the, the reaffirmation of multilateralism. This is perhaps a narrative, but it is core 
narrative for, for the policy making uh, at the national, regional, and international levels for all developing world. We from, from Latin America, I, I, can, I can share with you that, of course, we believe it is through uh, multilateralism and under the UN role, for instance, the, the, the very best track to advance on any commitment and any effort, universal, plural, comprehensive on cyber. I will say that the, the, the most important interest, even when it's more narrative, but crucial, it is this reaffirmation of multilateralism as the way to, to, to advance and to, to address uh, uh, new challenges re related to cyber in general. Well, of course, another uh, important element that you will see in, in many of the statements and, 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 and issues put on the table at the international level by developing world is the need to better accommodate, to better uh, deliver on capacity building programs. Of course, we have, I mean, years and years ago, uh, ago uh, these cooperations, technical assistance have, have developed and have increased in recent years. So now the need is to call to better accommodate to the particular interests and needs of the developing world this in general cooperation and capacity building. So you will hear capacity building and as one of the most important topics and, and the priorities for developing countries, because it is very related. The more capacity you have, the better prepared to prevent cyber attacks. The more capacity you have, the better you can implement the norms and the, in the general framework, et cetera. So as a departing point, we do have these gaps in technology between developing and, and cyber powers, I would say, and then uh, developing world, asking for more cooperation and, and sharing of information and actually also not the traditional way to understand cooperation and, and technical assistance, but actually South cooperation, for instance, and sharing of experiences, et cetera. So the, the very second important element from my understanding for whole developing world, it is of course, capacity building. And, 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 and the third element important also, it is the need to advance on the implementation instead of the, uh, just discovering again the will. For us, it is important that we now have the liberables coming from years from the GGE, the open-ended working group, and, and more recently for other fora that are, I will say, accommodating the discussions. And then we have commitments on uh, international law, CBMs, actually capacity building. So now the need is to implement because we believe that if we implement these commitments, then we will be in a better position to balance the security concerns with our crucial and, and, and the very most important topic to our discussions in the first committee, for instance, but at the same time to take into account those elements of related to development or human rights, which are also important to keep in mind even when you are discussing first committee issues only, I mean, international security, peace and security issues. Uh, that, that for me will be the, the, the most important elements related to why there are more interests from the developing world in these uh, cyber international and UN conversations. So you, you mentioned capacity building and obviously uh, something near and dear to my heart and, the, and Mexico has been a 
a longtime member of the Global Forum on Cyber Expertise, and also has been very active in the OAS activity on capacity building and, and done your own. How, how, as you said, the, the GGE, the last, recent last for a while GGE, which Mexico was, was part of, had very good language on capacity building. How do you take that forward? It, it, you know, is there, there's a debate now in the UN about, you know, should the UN do its own thing or should it leverage existing platforms like the GFC rather than try to reinvent the wheel? What, what's your sense of where that conversation is going and where do you want to see it go? It is a key question, and, and, and I can answer uh, from my very personal point of view, uh, Chris. I sincerely have expressed how much we, from our perspective, we appreciate the work of other related platforms, such as the GFC. It is impossible, and actually it is not fair to expect that UN only, I mean only the UN family, developing all kind of capacity building programs, efforts, etc., and, and managing the increasing interest of donors and the increasing interest of those with particular needs on cyber through the UN. That, that is impossible. And actually, there is no a concrete topic at the international level, important topics at the international level, when you can see the, the UN only delivering and actually accommodating uh, or organizing uh, all the capacity building efforts. There is no one. And, and I do believe sincerely that we have not to expect for, you, for, for cyber to have the, the, the UN as the only platform uh, to deal and to put on, on practice capacity building commitments coming from, as you said, the open-ended working group and the GGE. Regional organizations also are important uh, when, when talking about capacity building. Through the OAS, concretely through the cyber security program of the OAS, uh, we have had experiences on capacity building supporting the region in general. But also it will be, from my point of view, important to call for more synergies, if I may say, or collaborations between those regional organizations and the, the, the multi-stakeholder uh, multi platforms, such as the um, GFCE and the UN. So you will have three layers, the UN layer, the regional organizations, and then other multi-stakeholder platforms. The call for collaboration in capacity building, it's strictly oriented to avoid duplication of efforts which is key to this increasing cyber interest. So the, the way that, for instance, you from the GFC have, have been trying to map, to have a correct map of the, of the real world on capacity building on cyber, it is key for, because then you will see that perhaps there are uh, currently implementing from the EU some capacity building programs to very concrete countries, and then you, you at least can avoid the duplication of those efforts and try to do something something else with something or something more with something else. So this this map it is it is key. And we member states, as representatives of member states, we of course express gratitude when having this kind of maps because at the same time you will have more tailor-made, if I may say, um, uh, capacity building programs and cooperation. Uh, not necessarily these very big global programs, but more adopt, uh, adapted to the needs that you have, I mean, in the ground. Speaking of things other than the first committee, 
Currently, you're enjoying the uh, flesh pots of, of Vienna for the discussion of, uh, como se dice flesh pot in Espanol? <laughs> but we can come back to that. Go ahead, Nancy, if you know it off the top of your head. I couldn't think of it. But what's, what's up? This is an alternative effort to the Budapest Convention in the, in the context of the Third Committee in the UN. Is there anything you can tell us about it? Yes, Jim. Well, for me, it is difficult to completely separate the discussions because as, as a result of the very substantive discussions, first in the first committee on peace and security, when dealing with threats at the international level, you know that the, the GGE uh, addressed the issue of the threats during many years. So we faced from the first committee discussion, this increasing interest on better addressing and having commitments at the international level on cybercrime and other related cybercrime issues. And at the same time, the reality and the advancement of the malicious and criminal attacks and, 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 and situations on cyber have also shown how important is to at least having in mind both processes. For instance, ransomware. These, the ransomware and the increasing threats coming from ransomware have shown how thin it is perhaps the, the border or the line between cybersecurity, understand it uh, more linked to national security issues, and cybercrime. I mean, in the end, you, you're facing some illegal behaviors. So uh, ransomware and, 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 and very related uh, attacks uh, have shown in the reality also the importance to keep in mind uh, both uh, conversations. Um, los flashazos, I mean, <laughs> in Spanish, uh, that you are actually now, you, you can hear some cybercrime elements in, in, during the first committee conversations uh, in the open-ended working group. And also here in Vienna right now, you can hear all those open-ended working group statements and important elements to address and to deal with the uh, cybercrime efforts. So we do have two mandates, very concrete mandates. One mandate, not necessarily, uh, in the end, it is not expecting to have legally binding instrument, but to further implement the, the, the commitments and the elements that we have uh, um, reach uh, right now at the international level, which is the open-ended working group, and other mandate very concrete related to have a cybercrime convention. So yes, they are clear, they are separated, and I will say that experts attending these different processes are not necessarily the same. You will have a more justice and law enforcement uh, related people attending the Cybercrime Convention, of course, and you will have more cyber diplomacy and, 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 and national security and, and international security related experts attending the first committee. But we have seen during these last months, perhaps years, more intersections and then also more people attending both processes. Because in the end, you are 
dealing with cyber in general. I, I will I, I share with you, I mean, from our national experience in Mexico, it is our, our unit uh, within the Ministry of Foreign Affairs attending both the cyber security discussions and the cyber uh, crime discussions, and actually attending also the all governance for cyberspace processes. And what, I mean, at least from these experiences, I can tell you that it is better to have these comprehensive pictures instead of having only, ah. yeah, you know, like a very, apart. Uh, yeah, very, very apart discussions. Because then you can uh, find which is the correct process to push for something and to present a concrete initiative or to deal when, for instance, the, uh, I was mentioning ransomware, then you can better identify if it's better dealing with ransomware at the first committee or at the third committee, or perhaps both. Again, this is only from our experience. Perhaps other countries have uh, different experiences separating completely. But at least from the, from, the, from the recent years or recent months, I would say, we have seen how these intersections and interconnected and <laughs> in the end also repeated statements, <laughs> you, you, you face uh, both in first committee and third committee processes. That, that, that's interesting you mentioned that. I mean, that was going to be my question. How many people do you see in both processes from other countries? And, and my sense has been like yours, that many countries had different people going. But, but I remember when we used to argue, when the U.S. used to argue going to countries and saying you had different people going to what they call the internet governance processes like ITU and mm -hmm. the people going to like the GGE meetings. And there's so much overlap that there at least has to be coordination. And it strikes me, that it's dangerous if you don't do that. So I think what you're doing makes a lot of sense to at least have, have the communication if not the same people going or part of the delegation. But, but you know, one area of maybe overlap between the two is in the first committee, you have the norms on what they shorthand as the due diligence norms. And one of the big issues with ransomware is safe havens. So has that come up in the third committee in cybercrime discussions, the safe haven issue, which was so big, especially recently with ransomware in the first committee. Has that been an issue? Perhaps it is early in the discussions of the third committee, Chris, to, to, to say that, I mean, we, we want to deal with, with this kind of challenges. But I mean, my, my, my feeling is that we are more and more conscious about such uh, challenges. And then you hear from many different delegations from many different regions in the world about those challenges in both processes. So uh, perhaps not to expect a deliberable, a concrete commitment coming from nor the, 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 the third committee or um, neither the, the first committee but at least addressing and having the conversations, you, you have these both elements. Uh, by the way, regarding the, the discussion on a more technical level, uh, I should say that we still see in third committee more expertise related to law enforcement and, and criminal justice, which is 
basically what we need. And at first committee discussions, we still see these very robust uh, people and experts dealing with national security, with international security, which is, again, the the expectations, I mean, at least from the mandate. The way that we have been having this whole picture of the whole processes is perhaps at the national level in uh, taking into account or or, or as a parting point, an interagency collaboration and interagency coordination. We know that many countries are doing the same. I mean, when, 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 when having to, to consolidate our position to the processes, then calling an interagency process in order then to have both the more criminal justice and, and law enforcement people related, and at the same time, the more technical people and experts from uh, national security and international security. The cross-cutting input, I will say, is coming from foreign affairs experts, which is sincerely interesting because I do remember when you, Chris, you, Jim, stress the importance to better advance on what we can call cyber diplomacy. At least from our point of view and our concrete experience in Mexico, now we see at the regional and international level more, in reality, cyber diplomacy which is this more cross-cutting and and policy level understanding also contribution or input to both processes. And then you will need cyber diplomacy both to the first committee and the third committee, and even all those other discussions related to to internet governance or cyberspace governance in general. So that's sort of an interesting point because one thing I've noticed in the 10 years I was doing this is, is, I guess it's 12 now, that's embarrassing. The role of the multi-stakeholder community, which went from negligible, let's say in 2010, to now being politically essential. Where, where do you think the multi-stakeholder community fits into these discussions you have at the governmental level? You brought up diplomacy. Where do they, where do they, who are the most influential, what are the most influential ways they can contribute? Where do you see them fitting in? And this, this is aside from the larger debate within the OEWG about whether they should be allowed to attend. I mean, it's kind and of actually, silly. But. And I'd also just note that Mexico has played, at least in my view, a, a leading role along with Canada and some others in trying to promote the multi-stakeholder involvement. But, 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 but talk about why you want to promote the multi-stakeholder involvement. What's, what's the benefit to this process? And particularly... You mentioned how we're seeing the collision, perhaps unavoidable, of cybersecurity and internet governance. Internet governance is largely the multi-stakeholder space, and international security is not. Law enforcement is not. So how will this work? What would you want to see from it? Well, uh, many, many crucial questions in, in less than two Hey, we got to get our money's worth. <laughs> this is great. Well, when asking to have universal processes, and plural processes, we from Mexico expect to have also this multi-stakeholder conversation. I mean, the plurality, the the transparency, the universality of the processes coming uh, at least at the UN level are not only uh, referring to, to member states, but having the feedback, the contributions, the elements from all other related actors. Because we do have to accept 
that they, I mean, private sector, service providers, academia, think tanks, and civil society organizations, they do have more ground level understanding and then have more also experience in dealing at, in different manners to all cyber challenges. It is, by the way, uh, interesting to see how some of the uh, most active, I mean, talking from the multi-stakeholder community, the more active people in the first committee process also are active, involved now in the third committee process. So this increasing uh, more comprehensive conversations are not only, I mean, you can, you can see this not only from members, from member states, but also from the multi-stakeholder actors, uh, which is good. Why, why, to, why to push for their, for their inclusion and for uh, recognizing their, their contribution? Well, it is simply because of the reality demands that you cannot do cybersecurity, you cannot do all related to cybercrime or internet, internet governance if you don't have uh, the inputs, the views, the concerns, the priorities of the, the whole community. Because mm-hmm. also we need to further learn from multi-stakeholder processes, previous multi-stakeholder processes, such as the internet governance related processes. By nature, it is a multi-stakeholder process. So we do need to recognize the benefits of such kind of experiences in order then to push for better contributions and inclusion, et cetera, at very concrete first committee mandated processes and third committee mandated processes. At the same time, we are conscious that it is is always an issue at the UN level, at the multilateral level, and when you have the consensus as as a priority to deal very easy with the multi-stakeholder participation. You will have some countries perhaps more linked to the idea of limiting only to in a listening mode, something like that. And those others, of course, requesting to recognize the contributions and actually to giving the floor to them in official meetings, etc. In the end, we have had from all the processes, the two tracks, I will say. The official track, which is the mandated track, the official meetings, having other stakeholders participating, but at the same time, you have the interstitial periods. You have those informal spaces where actually you can have more active participation coming from other stakeholders. And when you are, and where you actually are receiving very substantive contributions, then then you, as member state or a representative of a member state, then you can analyze and to accommodate to our own uh, very concrete priorities and needs, etc. We are glad to see also not necessarily the usual suspects, I would say coming uh, from the multi-stakeholder community, we have seen an increasing interest also of some at the very beginning, not related civil society organizations or private sector or academia interested in cyber, 
but now dealing with very concrete elements and very concrete issues related to the conversations and then requesting to participate in both processes, which is good. So you will have now people coming from the multi-stakeholder community from the whole regions of the world, not only the developed world, not only the most advanced and most uh, and, and more robust uh, private sector companies or, 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 or civil society organizations, but you will have all levels and all kinds and yes, all regions that are participating in these processes. Of course, these are states, member states processes. I mean, decision-making processes only uh, by, by member states, but in all the discussions and during all this parallel process or, or track, which is intersessional meetings, informal consultations, etc., then you can fit better the official and the, and the, and the mandated, officially mandated process. You know, the, the meeting you're at now, people have held that out as the the gold standard for multi-stakeholder participation, or at least the silver standard, I guess, that it was not that hard to agree to modalities and, and you have stakeholder panels and you have stakeholders participating. Uh, but it took the OEWG months to agree to it. And for, finally they did. Why do you think there was such a big difference? The same countries are involved in both processes. Why, why was it so hard in the OEWG, but relatively easy in the uh, ad hoc group? Cybercrime groups? It is a difficult question uh, to concretely respond, but I will say that perhaps the answer it is related to the mandate in general for first committee issues and third committee issues. In third committee issues, of course, you will have peace and security and then more national security related discussions. Then perhaps some of the experts participating are not necessarily, even when they are the same country represented, they are representing the same country, perhaps they are not aware of the very uh, substantive participation that multi-stakeholder community have in other, in other processes, such as the third committee processes. And of course, in third committee, we are seeing this criminal justice related conversation, but at the same time, third committee deals with human rights, crucial issues, and, and, and other issues related to, 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 to advance uh, the prevention of violence, etc. So you, have, you will have more, I mean, you will have experts more experienced in having multi-stakeholder conversations in third committee, I believe than in, in first committee because of the nature of general, not for the cyber, but the whole mandate for first and third committee. That will be uh, my, my response, but indeed, Chris, I sincerely believe it is difficult because as you said, we are the same countries and we are the same uh, governing, governments represented in both processes, but I, I can explain in that way. <laughs> Andre uh, once said to me at the OEWG, uh, towards the end, he said, if I knew that was what they were going to say, they agree with my position, I would have let them in. <laughs> so uh, hopefully he'll remember, although it doesn't appear to be happening. Hey, let me ask you a related question, and maybe just to get your thoughts on it, because it's one that we've been struggling with for a while. And that is, how do we get this discussion beyond sort of the developing world, beyond the US and, and Europe? And you know, the members of the G7 and the G20. So how do you get, how do you get these emerging new voices in, in a way, 
is there our vocabulary right? Or is the focus right? Is it what would you do to broaden this to make it more global, more more representative and diverse? You know, uh, I feel that now we have more comprehensive conversations than years ago. But at the same time, we are facing more difficult situations in the real world, in attacks, in, 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 in very universal, almost incidents, cyber incidents. So you will have to adapt your, your comprehensive conversation to these more difficult situations in the real uh, cyber world. It is difficult to say that, but it is real cyber world. <laughs> so the way that you can better consider all those other conversations, from my understanding, could be looking better to the concrete contributions of those tracks to address or to prevent or to mitigate or to respond to the real cyber world. In the case of Mexico, I, I can share with you, of course, uh, we, we are taking part of the G20 conversations, we are taking part of the old UN conversations, but other increasing and very interesting multi-stakeholder platforms. I put on the table, for instance, the Global Partnership on Artificial Intelligence, a very new kind of platform more dedicated to capacity building, but at the same time dealing with key elements to advance more political commitments. I, say, I see something similar with the recent adoption of the uh, ethics related to artificial intelligence coming from the UNESCO. This is also a very interesting track. Or, or um, the, those conversations on digital economy and digital advancements that you can see recently from Davos and the, the WEF, I mean, the, the, the World Economic Forum, etc. We need, as diplomats, we need, uh, as experts, as cyber experts, we do need to be more aware of how those, those other new platforms are addressing and are trying to advance commitments, standards, calls, I mean, many things. Also, you can mention, for instance, the, 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 the Paris call uh, related to cyber or the, the previous efforts coming from the Global Commission on, Global Commission on Cyberspace, which you were very related to this work. And we have to fit our traditional way of dealing in the UN framework, all these advancements. It is impossible not to, to be aware of those advancements or those discussions or those efforts to advance implementation of standards, commitments, putting in practice uh, capacity building, etc. So it is better to be aware, it is better to, to be open-minded to the cyber real world to be more open-minded as cyber expert and as cyber diplomats and, and also us. Let me let me put you on the spot real quick. What when you say cyber real world, tell the audience what you mean. I think we know what you mean, but what is cyber real world? I have there's a couple jokes in there, but we'll skip them. But tell us tell us what you have in mind. <laughs> Yes, well, I, I would like also to, to hear those. Uh, uh, those. <laughs> but, uh, it sounds like me, an MTV uh, miniseries that's going to come on. <laughs> <I remember. laughs> 
Well, that is better instead of back to the future or something like that. But <laughs> I will say that for me, cyber real world is the increasing situations that we are facing day by day in the cyber realm. I mean, we believe that we are trying, at least from our international conversations and negotiations and discussions, to address all those threats. But we consider them only with the big term of cyber, like cyber everything. But the real world shows us how we need to better differentiate the many different situations and concerned situations that we are facing under this very big term cyber. That is why I feel it is important uh, also for more political policy level uh, people and experts to be also aware of the technical situation. We do need more conversations between technical people and more political related people. You need conversations with CERT experts attending the CERTs day by day and also diplomats, for instance. Then this kind of conversation shows you you, um, how the world in cyber is a little different of the discussions that you are having in the, in the, in the international arena. That is well, why I, I refer to cyber real world. That makes a lot of sense. And, and also, you know, keying off your, your point about diplomats taking a bigger role, diplomats often have a broader perspective than any other representative of a government. And Mexico certainly played a big role in human rights too, human rights online. So the Freedom Online Coalition, the recent uh, communique of the uh, democracy communique that came out uh, about a month ago. Uh, How do you bring those human rights concerns into the the sessions that you're dealing with in in both the first and third committee now? How how do you, I mean, they're separate communities in a sense, but the issues are joined. How, how, How do you personally do that? Or as a country do that? Thank you for the question, because we, we always, when having this kind of uh, negotiations or discussion at the international level, we always, even when we have very concrete mandates, we always ask others to be at least aware of the need of balance. And I will say a three-pillar balance, security concern, of course, or criminal justice concerns and and law enforcement concerns, which are uh, related to the mandates that we have in first committee and third committee, for instance, in balance with the benefits of these technologies. I mean, all related on how cyber platforms, how internet, how new emerging technologies enable or or promote development and more uh, benefits for the people. And the third pillar, of course, the protection and the exercise of human rights. You cannot have a conversation to control something, to penalize something, if you don't have in mind the rights of the people and the human rights in general. And if you don't have also the understanding about how these technologies can contribute to development. Um, The idea of a tech neutral conversations, I mean, these technologies can be used, of course, for malicious uses, criminal uses, but they at the same time produce in their 
lawful and peaceful uses, produce development and produce a spread of uh, democratic uh, efforts, etc., etc. So this tech neutral approach, it is also part of the need to have these kind of three pillars. At the national level, of course, uh, we are interesting to advance when, when dealing with cyber in general and, and cyber security more concrete or cyber crime. We at the same time are interesting to advance the access to these technologies, the access to internet because of the gaps, because of the social imparities that we see and we face at the national, regional and international level. And that is why our um, national digital strategy stresses this concept of more digital social approach or social digital approach, um, which is for us important to, to advance. And the way then to promote uh, more discussions on human rights, for instance, at the third committee or first committee, it's from our point of view, not requesting to advance the human rights through a new convention on cybercrime. I mean, it is not going to be a human rights convention. It is going to be a cybercrime convention, but at least to recognize at the international level and to protect those rights now recognized and adopted from the international law uh, on, on human rights. We, we, are, we are expecting, we are promoting, we are pushing then to recognize all those rights through this convention or through the uh, open-ended working group efforts, not expecting, I mean, being realistic, not expecting to have a human rights discussion right there. That might be a good note to end on. We want to be respectful of your time and we've taken a full hour. We could, of course, keep you longer, but I don't think that would be fair. You do have a day job, we know. So I think, is there any final thoughts you'd want to add? Yeah, maybe maybe when you think that? about that, your final thoughts, I mean, where do you see Mexico on the world stage in this area going forward? And any final thoughts you have? Yeah. Well, I will have to have more more time to hear the jokes that you uh, yeah. not mentioned before, Jim, but okay. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to put on the table some final views, to share some final elements. Well, first element is a positive note on the multilateral process. Me, myself, and of course, uh, Mexico, I mean, the tradition and the uh, foreign policy in general of Mexico, we reaffirm the multilateralism. We are confident to multilateralism because through multilateral discussions, we are able to advance the applicability of international law to all our, to all our activities in the real world and in this new cyber domain. So first, reaffirmation of the multilateral processes, the reaffirmation of their UN role. We believe that the UN have delivered. Now we can talk about a framework. We do have a framework for responsible state behavior in cyberspace. And we need to commit to better disseminate between the whole community, this framework. Once better disseminated, then better implemented. Once better disseminated, once better implemented, then better reporting efforts and better having 
and somehow accountability of what we are doing in cyberspace. We are doing the whole community, member states, the multi-stakeholder community, private sector, service providers. The idea of accountability in cyberspace, it is important, but it will be only if we before implement the commitments and we know from the very beginning that we do have this framework and these commitments. So I, I, my expectations to these processes is then to deliver implementation and then to deliver reporting and then to deliver accountability of all our activities. And I see Mexico uh, playing, still playing an important role as a, I will say, bridge builder. Um, because we, from, from Latin America, from the developing world, we hear some needs and priorities that are key also for us recognizing the gaps existing in cyber and in, in emerging technologies in general. But at the same time, we are aware of the need to better advance the commitments and the implementation of those commitments. It doesn't matter the level of development you have, but you need to commit to have a responsible state behavior in cyberspace. That will be uh, my, my note, uh, perhaps is a very positive note, but I believe because I'm, I'm dealing and I'm following all these processes to have this positive sense and, and more uh, cyber diplomacy positive sense about these processes. Well, that's a great note to end on. Thank you. <laughs>